Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold sets so. up. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of this week's presentation of the Longhorn Blitz podcast. Get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes. Hit that follow button. Get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to get over to Horns 24-7, the latest and greatest in Longhorn team. News, notes, and nuggets, the best Texas coverage on the recruiting trail in the market. You will not find that anywhere else. Mike Roach and Hudson Standish doing an outstanding job. Get it all at horns247.com. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drive machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? And always enjoy any time you and I can lose our minds over looking up Yards after the catch per reception and average depth of target numbers before the show. Uh, it's always always a good time. Uh, the third member of our team, he appreciates a good statistic, uh, likes to go rabbit hole in, as he says. Is this this is a rabbit hole in season, is it not, Rod? It is. Yeah, oh, lots yeah. of rabbit hole. It is rabbit hole in season yeah. here on Longhorn Blitz, uh, and he can rabbit hole with the best of them. And for the purposes of this podcast, he wears many hats at the Horn, including co-hosting Ball and Live from 3 to 7 each and every weekday. My cards, but for the purposes of this presentation, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. Damn good intro as always. I uh, strive to do my best. Hey, by the way, somebody who said they love the intro, uh, shout out to Sam uh, with uh, Big City Wings over in uh, your Fairburg, Rod, over oh, in H-Town. H-Town. Nice. Uh, yeah, met Sam at the uh, Touchdown Club of Houston luncheon last week. Okay. Uh, mentioned he was a big fan of the Blitz. Nice. Enjoys what we do. So yeah, my brother likes those wings. They got good quality wings. I didn't make it over to Big City Wings this time because I knew if I look, if I go over there and eat wings and have a drink, <laughs> I'm not gonna get any work done. Yep. Um, and I had to bang out a story after that luncheon. Yeah. So wise decision. Uh, yeah. but the last no, not wise decision. That's a dang coaching mistake. I should have gone with the wings. The work can wait. I, I when am I gonna be back in Houston again? <laughs> I gotta give gotta nah, give me some. I enjoy I enjoy good wings whenever I can get them. Yeah. So shout out to Sam and the folks at, at Big City Wings. Sure. Um, I do want to go a couple different areas today, gentlemen. Make sure we get it covered. We got transfer portal rankings update at Horn at twenty four seven Sports. You can get those at Horns twenty four seven. We've got a transfer portal edition to talk about. And Rod, I gotta pick your brain on something related to the Texas defense because oh, I'm trying to get somewhere. You want to do that first or you want to do Portal first and Tariq Milton talk first? Uh, we can do Tariq Milton talk first. I know that's top of mind for everybody. Yeah, and it kind of dovetails. Last week we talked a lot about Jordan Addison, mm-hmm. the potential addition there that didn't happen. Yep. And, look, the addition of Tariq Milton, the Iowa State transfer, who a very productive receiver over his four years with Iowa State, 99 catches, a little over 1,500 yards, seven touchdowns. Uh it doesn't change a whole lot. All the reasons we talked about why Texas would need to add Jordan Addison, you can't run the risk of if something happens to Jordan Whittington or something happens to Xavier Worthy, you've got to have another proven playmaker at that position to maximize what you've got to think is the one more year you've got with Bijan Robinson. You've got to help out a young quarterback, assuming it's Quinn Ewers, but even if it's Hudson Card, you have the young quarterback as much help as possible. So whatever the case, however you slice it, Texas needed to add a veteran receiver. They added him. Rod, to me, this is akin, <clears throat> excuse me, 
to when Texas took Tariq Black out of Michigan a few years ago. <laughs> and it's the thing, like, NFL roster now. well, that's the thing. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Texas fans should be like, oh, wow, the, you know, that staff identified Tariq Black and he's in the NFL now, or or be mad that, like, man, he's on an NFL roster. How did you not get more out of him <laughs> while you had him here, well, Tom Herman and stuff? Don't be mad. Don't don't have that attitude because if you do, then you, you're you going to be pissed off and upset as a Longhorn fan. True. It's a theme of a all decade. The underdeveloped players here that have become bargain basement value additions in, in the NFL. And it's happened year every, every year, there, there's one. That hits the NFL ends up making a roster, and you go, damn. I mean, he wasn't an All Conference player at Texas. Or they didn't really perpetual anger. Him in Texas, yeah, happens all the time. So yeah. So, but uh, we caught up at Horse Twenty Four Seven. Chip Brown did, and this is in Chip's uh, morning brew column, posted Tuesday morning. Uh, as we sit here and record, this was posted this morning. Uh, Michael Swain does a really good job. Now covers Kansas for us at Twenty Four Seven Sports, but he was the beat writer covering Tariq Milton's career at Iowa State on, okay. on the football side of things. Uh, so this quote really st- stood out to me when you look at Tariq Milton and you go back to that twenty nineteen season, which Matt has some numbers from that. We'll get to in just a second. In twenty nineteen, he was one of the dare I say premier playmakers. In the Big 12. I remember that. 35 year. catches, over 700 yards, three touchdowns. Matt will get to some of the, the granular numbers here in just a second. But he was awesome this season. Averaged over 20 yards a catch. Uh, you know, could run run after the catch. Could get himself open with his speed. But this is what and, – and then keep in mind, in 2020, he was injured pretty much the entire season. Mm-hmm. Had a, a lower body injury and then a, a collarbone injury. So all that dovetails into 2021 – and this is what Michael Swain said about Tariq Milton last season. The last season, he was expected to start, but didn't look like the same player. The staff at ISU had him put on weight, and he looked more physical. But the breakaway speed wasn't there. Uh, true freshman Jalen Noel passed him on the depth chart, and Milton barely played as the season progressed. So, and I'll, I'll just add on to the overall, Texas is getting a great locker room guy who players and coaches loved. He has experience, but his best days may be behind him. Perhaps Sark and the Texas staff can squeeze the last out of him. A lot of the same things we said about Tariq Black when Texas got him. And I feel the same way, Rod. It's it's not a high-risk move if you're Sark because at the very least, you're getting a guy that can play a backup role, provide a buffer between Brennan Thompson, Savion Red, and I'll even throw Casey Kane and Jaden Alexis in there. Provide a buffer between the young guys you've got and throw a Jai Hall in there if you want to. The young guys you've got on the roster where you still got to figure out what you've got there, mm-hmm. you provide a buffer to where if something happens, you don't have to just throw those guys from the frying pan into the fire. You've got a veteran, Tariq Milton, who can play more reps. You can add more snaps on his plate if he's healthy and capable. So I think it's a low risk. Is the reward as high as it would have been with Jordan Addison? Absolutely not. But if you get anywhere close to this, the mm-hmm. Tariq Milton we saw in 2019, then at that point now you're top four of Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, Isaiah Nayer, and – the 2019 version of Tariq Milton, if that's still in there somewhere, that's a top four rod that can run with just about anybody in the country in terms yeah. of a top four receiver group. Yeah, I mean, considering how little experience and, you know, proven productivity you have in the wide receiver, you got a lot of potential, tons of potential. Um, but he is basically, if you just look at career production, he is your most productive wide receiver now in their wide receiver room and look at his career production. He, and he's probably played more considering X-Man is a true freshman and or at least coming off his true freshman year and Jay Witt, not going wood, all right, hadn't had a chance to play an entire season yet. You talked about Ajay Hall, um, you know, and, and how, yes, a lot of potential there, tons of upside, but still not a proven commodity. Isaiah Nayor has got a ton of upside, but at this level you haven't really seen him at this high, at, right. the, at this level. And I, I actually think his transition is going to be pretty seamless considering all the pieces around him, but you still haven't seen it yet. So I think what Sark is doing is just get insurance. It's just insurance. Yeah. Uh-huh. He needs more insurance in that room. Yes, lots of upside, tons of potential, but Jay Witt, you know, you need insurance behind him. You need insurance behind Ajaya Hall. Yes, he's great, but Nick Saban, for, for some reason, him and Nick Saban, all right, they they butted heads. All right, you button heads with Nick Saban, you know, that means, I don't know, that means something, you did something wrong that Nick Saban didn't like. So that's also something you got to worry about, and he's an unproven commodity. So you got all these guys with tons of upside, and the freshmen coming in, all those guys, all right, they got lots of upside and potential, but 
not a lot of guys have done it on the field. You only got two guys now that have done it on the field and one this week, Milton. He's got his injury issues, too, as of late. Uh, but still, I think it's another insurance policy, a veteran presence in that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way we talked last year or last week about how getting a guy, a fourth wide receiver, if it would have been Addison, it would have been a home run. But just needing to have, if you can get that productive, reliable guy, it really can alleviate the potential of if not being able to survive an injury or if, uh, you know, one game somebody isn't playing well. Like when you have that additional fourth receiver, it allows that depth, especially if they're interchangeable pieces. And when you look at what Milton does, he's a guy that sort of can maybe back up the guy that's had the most injury issues in Jordan Whittington being a little bit more of that screen guy in addition to some of the other stats. At this point, to your point about the insurance, Rod, if one, uh, this is how I look at it, between Tariq Milton and Jordan Whittington, if one of those guys is healthy, mm-hmm. your offense should be able to function ideally the way you want it to. Yep, shouldn't have a drop off. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they were when Jordan Whittington got hurt. Um, not that the offense was debilitated or anything, but you did miss a certain. Um, that, that was a, a certain dimension that you lacked, and I think it was a physical dimension after the passing. After you know, after the catch, pretty much that Jordan Whittington provided that nobody else really could provide. I like the play strength of X Man. He's got a great play strength, but he ain't Jordan Whittington when Jordan Whittington gets the ball. It's hard to bring that dude down. I was yeah. watching film uh, not too long ago about you know oh, just on the beast. offense, and yeah, I was watching third down specifically, and man, he was just always hard to bring down. I, I'm about to go back and like go kind of uh, kind of category. You know, catalog his yards after the catch on third down specifically because it was it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and his ability to make guys miss in addition to running through tackles, he can do it both ways. The way that he makes yeah. people miss, and if you look at him against some of the Big Twelve like linebackers in space, it was a joke too because he's so much quicker. But he's a lot bigger than most DBs, and like we'd see that whenever he'd be coming around the edge on different reverses, that just the combo yeah. of size and speed, like you can see why he was a guy that you could see as like. A a real top-level running back when he showed up on campus. Well, I want to get to these numbers. Uh, Matt brought up something that I just thought was fascinating. You go back to Tariq Milton's 2019 season, and two of the numbers that stand out, we talk about, what do we talk about, Rod, all the time when we talk about source wide receivers, right? Run to daylight, speed, space playmaking ability, yards after the catch. Tariq Milton had two really intriguing numbers. 10.3 yards after the catch per reception, and his average depth of target, 12 and a half yards. Matt, how many we, – we did this before the show. How many guys did we figure in that 2019 season, Tariq Milton was one of how many guys nationally that had 10-plus yards, yards after the catch per reception, and 10-plus yards average depth of target? It looks like uh, from my calculations we ended up with nine that year, which was extremely high because in the last two years combined, I believe there's only been nine. But I'll read out some of the names of those nines. Mm-hmm. You have Antonio Gibson, NFL skills starter. Mm-hmm. C.D. Lamb, another elite NFL player. Brandon Ayuk, another one. And then Henry Ruggs. Then you have Brandon or Braden Johnson, who at, I believe it was UCF putting up big time numbers. Tamarion Terry, another guy that. In the got NFL looks, Tutu Atwell was another one. Even Marquez Stevenson, a guy that I believe at Houston was putting mm-hmm. up big numbers. And then Tylen Wallace barely missed it. He was at nine point eight when you look at his uh, yak after the reception. So nearly made that group. And then just quickly, I'll throw out some of the names. In 2020, I believe only three wide receivers. You had Dwayne Eskridge, Ryan O'Keefe, C.J. Johnson. 2021, you had receivers like Javante Payton. Uh, Tyrese Chambers, uh, Singleton, I believe, from U of H, and then guys that narrowly missed it but would be top-tier names that everybody knows. Jalen Naylor, Michigan State, was a 9.9 yak per reception, 14.2 was his depth of target. Jamison Williams from Alabama was a 9.3 yak after reception, 14.5, and then Traylon Burks at Arkansas was 9.3, 9.7. We're both near double digits. But, I mean, you're talking elite of the elite, and that was the season he had pre-injury in 2019. Nice. Yeah, also in 2019, that year, the, Matt, you mentioned Tyler Wallace barely missed it. Barely missed it. Uh, Ronnie Bell from Michigan's another guy, explosive playmaker. It been interesting to see that Michigan offense with him last year. They had him, but he was at 11.2 a dot and his yards after the catch per reception. 9.9. And not to leave out the Aggie, 2021, Dante Demas almost made it. He was 9.9 per reception, 9. Demon Demas, yeah. Demon, yeah. Uh, 
By the way, that's on an, uh, a minimum of 50 targets. Tariq Milton was at 55 targets. So those guys. I even lowered my numbers down to 35. Yeah. And still weren't that many. Yeah, mine, mine were the minimum of 50 targets. Um, so that just shows you how explosive he was yep. in 2019 when healthy. It just remains to be seen. What version of Tariq Milton do you get? Do you get a version closer to the 2019 version, or do you get a version closer to the 2021 version where it's right at that point he does just become an insurance policy? But like I said, that's why it's not it's not a it's a pretty low risk addition for Texas. Well, even if it is an insurance policy, you know history tells us you're going to yeah. need it, at especially behind Whittington. Uh, yeah, and, and Sark has even admitted that he wears his receivers down. Talks about in practice because he recruits all the speed, the run to daylight routes. He's got these guys running a ton. I bet if you track the mileage on the mm-hmm. wide receivers in practice throughout a week, they'd be, you know, he'd probably be running, you know, marathons essentially. And he talks about how he burns those guys out and he doesn't want to burn them out. So not only is it insurance, but it's also in practice, it is a another a way to manufacture depth so that you don't wear out your top guys. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's one of those guys, but you don't wear out your guys who you're going to funnel most of your usage to. And we know Sark is a guy that. You know, he cuts off his uses as wide receivers around four. Mm-hmm. four. Four guys, that's about it, his top four guys. If you don't make that top four, yeah. then, you know, he ain't really going to try right. to expand his horizons when it comes to funneling usage. Yeah. yeah, and you may end up having guys that are his return men. Now, sometimes they're starters on defense like Deshaun Jameson, but if you look back to Alabama, you have top-end players playing as the return guys, so I wouldn't be surprised to see some of them back there. And one more big note on Milton that I noticed, and it aligns with those numbers from 2019 – Really well. When you look at the way he was used, I showed this to Jeff, but basically Iowa State kept flipping him his entire career. Mm-hmm. You had him in the slot, 89% of snaps his first year in 2018, only 19 out wide, 11% of his snaps. But then the very next year, he had 217 snaps out wide at 70%. 30%. And, and then once you get to 2020, it was a 94% slot. And then last year was the first time he was near 50-50. He was 57% wide, 43% slot. But it just shows that, you know, he's most recently done that, which is great for Texas for the manufacturing depth and backing up all the different wide receivers. But the one time that he was pro- predominantly out wide was that explosive 20 20- 19 seasons so it just can sort of sometimes when you see inconsistencies between well why did his a dot go down it's like well his a dot went down because he became a slot receiver the next year and it chops your a dot in half it's nothing he was doing differently yep when you look at texas in the portal and we'll see you know what ultimately happens if texas does make another portal addition we know that uh they do have a visitor on campus right now uh, as we record this podcast uh, with the uh, linebacker from James Madison, uh, Diamante Tucker Dorsey. I wanted to say Dorsey mm-hmm. Tucker, but it's Tucker name? Tucker, Tucker Dorsey. Dorsey. Not Dorsey wow. Tucker, Tucker Man. Dorsey. Nice. Um, All-American linebacker from James Madison who, if you add him as, uh, you know, again, kind of an insurance policy depth guy at that linebacker group, Rod, same deal. Like, you can't afford for something to happen to DeMarvin Overshone or Jalen Ford and your defense to collapse. You've got to give yourself some insurance. I think that's what uh, Diamante Tucker Dorsey would be for Texas at this point. So assuming you add him, then you're done at that point. Your roster is what it is. And when you look at the portal additions for Texas, much different year than last year. <laughs> Not a lot of We finished off our uh, at 24-7 Sports, our transfer portal rankings, just ranking the guys in the transfer portal, uh, three of the top 24 transfers available on the market in this cycle end up at Texas. That's Quinn Ewers, Isaiah Nayer, and Jaleel Billingsley. Uh, those guys were in the top 24. Quinn Ewers, number two. Only Caleb Williams rated higher than Quinn Ewers. Uh, you got to go down to number 112 and find Ryan Watts, the uh, corner transfer from Ohio State. But Rod, we saw in the spring, that's a guy that's going to start for you, yeah. most likely, at that boundary corner yeah, spot. And then you throw in Tariq Milton, not rated very high, but I think you know what you're getting with Tariq Milton. Uh, I think Sark had a better – and then, oh, a Jai Hall also in there in the top 100. Yeah, yeah. So think about this. Last year, you got four four of your transfer four of your transfer portal additions all ranked in the top 100 of our transfer rankings, three in the top 24. Last year, you had one guy, of all the guys you took, one ranked in the top 100. It was Keelan Robinson. That was it. You're only top 100 guy. So – you're adding talent on offense, and I, I think 
I'm trying to talk about this on Light the Tower. I felt like I got tongue-tied and I was just kind of spewing thoughts. So I'm going to try to be more concise <laughs> with my take on, <laughs> on what on, I always do. Happens all the time. On adding on on what how, why the portal was so different for Texas, and I think for a couple of reasons. One. And we'll see if Rod, if this was miscalculated or not. I think Sark feels good enough about his culture, and again, the proof will be in the pudding if he's right, mm-hmm. that you can take uber-talented guys in some cases and just look at the talent and, and how they would fit in might be a secondary pick. Or he could look at a situation where, like, why you take a Jai Hall, take a guy like Quinn Ewers, for example. Everybody had A lot of people had questions about Quinn Ewers. Didn't know what kind of guy yeah, you were high school coming out of Ohio State. Yeah, to cash in on NIL. Not and, mad at him, by the way. And the fit yeah. has been like a glove. He's been, by all accounts, he's been a great fit. He's been a good teammate. He's a guy that people want to be around, a guy that people want to have in the locker room. The only guy you see. I don't even see Hudson Carr. So, I don't know Hudson Carr doesn't even take any pictures. Hudson Carr, start taking pictures. <laughs> out here working. All the pictures we see on social media are with Quinn Ewers. Dude, it's an election. You got to start taking the pictures. Kissing I don't babies? ever see him. Do you ever see Hudson Card? I see Quinn Ewers all the time. I see him all the time. Like, I see him on Instagram with players hanging out with the team. I see him on Twitter. I see him I see him when they go to the games of other sports. Where is Hudson Card? <laughs> Where is he? I don't know. That's he, what I'm saying. Like, like come on, man. He might be just working. Perception is reality. The perception no, right. is for long fans. I'm like, all I see is Quinn Ewers. So when they make these lists, all about, uh, 247 just made a list about top 25 quarterbacks in college football. Quinn Ewers on the list. I'm like, he ain't even won the job. But the perception is he's the quarterback. Because yeah. it's all you see. I'm like, I mean, Hudson Card, I know you may not be a guy that likes to take pictures. Go take some pictures. Yeah. And put it out there on social media so people know you are hanging out with the team. Because right now it looks like Quinn Ewers, when he came down here, basically a lock, he just won the locker room. And all the guys hang out with him. When, you know, the picture of Jordan Whittington hanging out in the back with the boom box and they're recruiting Jordan Addison, all the guys are there. Where's Hudson Card? You're spot on. I just Hudson went to Card, get out, get in that damn picture. I went you to should his... be photo bombing every picture that Quinn Ewers is in. Like, what's up? Here I go. <laughs> the last time Here he, go. <laughs> the last time he tweeted was September sixth. He's you know I mean? in the. He's just sitting back. I know. I, I know. So I know it's not his thing because Bijan ain't. That ain't his thing. It ain't Bijan. But Bijan ain't in a competition. I need you to be photo bombing them Quinn Ewers pictures. But now Bijan's like, car right there. Yeah, Bijan's got enough people that handle that for him. Bijan don't need to do that. No, yeah. he's he's yeah he he's he's elite now. He doesn't need to do that. My it's boy. Like, it's like you remember when Sam got to that point. It's like eh, Sam doesn't need to tweet. Anymore. I agree. It's, 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 but it's you get my point though. Doesn't yeah. it seem oh, yeah. that way? Just like where the hell is Hudson Carr? Hudson Carr is out of sight, out of mind right yeah. now. <laughs> for yeah. And shout, by the way, shout out Brad Crawford on twenty four seven Sports National News Desk our national college football team but yeah that's that's what they see like we we see hudson guard because we're here like we see the battle going on because we're in austin we follow this program on yeah. a daily basis we know it's still a couple but from a national standpoint oh, that's, yeah, all, that's, no all those guys, that's all they see is like, hudson yep, card. it's quinn ewers starting quarterback yours. i'm like what they don't see hudson card they don't see him i bet they think he transferred <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm just i you know i'm not being critical of the young man but I, you know i'm just saying the perception is reality and all i see in all the photos and stuff yeah. y'all usually is quinn ewers you want to see more hudson card so yeah. i don't know so on the modern politicking he's not there to stay in the poly you know just in the mind <laughs> of the voter yeah. or of the fan so i don't know if that was really a take by me on quinn ewers in terms of the cultural fit or whatnot but i, I think at this point does sark feel like okay um you had some bad apples by the end of the 2021 season that you had some guys that clearly didn't need to be in the program anymore. I agree with that. And you've done such a good job. At, and he's admitted, Sark, we talked about it last week, Sark has admitted during this Texas fight tour that's now over, which I'm kind of glad it's over, started chasing Sark around the state. But at any rate. He only had like four stops, right? Uh, I went to three, San Antonio, Dallas, and Houston. Yeah. yeah he didn't do like Charlie Strong, dude. No, Charlie kept adding dates. Like, let's, go to, let's go to Amarillo <laughs> and Waco. West <laughs> like, Texas. Exactly. El Paso. And it's like, hey, all right. Um, but the only two they added, they added Midland and Tyler. So, okay. But that's that's fine. It's no big deal. Yeah. Um, but I digress. Uh, you know, Sark has admitted last year that he did, even with the wonky setup, with the north end zone, south end zone wasn't ready, he didn't do a good job of fostering camaraderie and building culture mm-hmm. and building chemistry. And it seems like he's made it a point to do that. Yep. And so maybe he just feels like, look, you can take a guy like a Jai Hall, who there's plenty of rumor in your window, as you said, Rod, following his exit from Alabama. Maybe you can take a guy like that. And so maybe that's why you're more willing. Maybe that's why your portal returns have been better because you're more willing to roll the dice on an uber-talented guy uh, because you feel like your culture is in the right place that you can you can handle that guy. That guy, that guy can succeed at Texas. I think the other reason why you've been better in the portal is 
just got a better handle on your roster mm-hmm. right now. And I said this on the show. I'll say this again right here. Status quo could have been – quarterback could have stayed status quo. Casey Thompson could have come back, dueled it out with Hudson Card. Quinn Ewers couldn't have – let's assume Quinn Ewers wasn't even in the picture. Yeah, Casey Thompson could have been – could have come back. One of those guys would have transferred out at the end of spring ball. I think quarterback position would have been fine. It would have been okay. It would have been okay. Yeah. But chasing Quinn Ewers tells you Sark's not fine with okay at quarterback. I, even if it meant glad. losing Casey Thompson, look, to be elite, I got to go get Quinn Ewers. If I want to be elite at this position, mm-hmm. which we know more often than not, unless you're Stetson Bennett and you've just got one of the greatest, most talented <laughs> college defenses we've ever seen backing you up, elite quarterback talent wins national championships in college football. Yep. Save me your Stetson Bennett takes because he is the exception to the rule. Him and Greg McElroy. And as we've seen with Mac, even though people said what they say about Mac Jones, oh, he's got all the sound around him. Well, after one NFL season, we see Mac Jones that actually isn't that bad of a quarterback. Mac Jones actually can handle his own. But so I think that's just about the other part of it, Rod. So I think maybe you do have a better handle on your culture and the kind of guys you can bring in, you can get away with bringing it. Because we saw when you kind of get to the point where you realize, okay, we need to upgrade the talent level, we saw Mac do it, we saw Charlie do it, and we saw Tom do it. Those guys, in some cases, added talent knowing that it could potentially be a detriment to the culture, and it ultimately was. And then you had guys that the next guy had to deal with that ultimately some of those guys needed to go. I just think it's more of a case of not so much the culture aspect. I just think it's if I've got to pick one of the two that I just laid out, I think it's just that Sark has a better handle on the roster now. Um, it could be. I, I, I think there's a lot more trust that – um, since he's turned over so much of the damn roster, was a close to 40% of the roster he's turned mm-hmm. over. I think the trust now with Sark is that, yeah, like you said, you know, kind of expanding, piggyback on your thought, is that he's got more of his guys in there. The guys that he did inherit that he didn't think fit his, you know, ideology, he probably got those guys out or encouraged them to get out, right? And now he's turned over the roster and has more of his guys there. And if he does bring in these risky projects right that yes they are guys who have really high ceilings but they may not have great attitude they may not have great football character but they definitely will upgrade your roster talent wise but could be toxic to the culture if you have enough of your roster with you know the guys who came to play for texas Mm -hmm. and not the guys who came to play at texas then it will have a positive influence and i think it'll overwhelm any toxicity you could have from those guys. Matter of fact, you could argue that it'll have a positive influence on them individually, Mm -hmm. and you may end up turning them into guys who came to play at Texas into guys who want to play for Texas, right? That you can can rehab their football character because of all the guys you have in the program now. So you got more guys like Rojo pretty much, and maybe he trusts that now bringing in – yeah, I can bring in – you know, I can have 10% of my roster be guys that I'm not too sure are good for the culture, but damn, I know they're good for the talent upgrade. Guys that are on the, on the edge. Yeah, you know I mean, like, yeah, but I know that if they have really good influences around them, the coaching staff, their players, the peers, and they care about the right things and their heart's in the right place, head might not be in the right place, but heart's in the right place, that I can rehab them. Yeah. I can I can bring mm-hmm. them and influence them back to my side of things if they get too far off track. So I I think it's just like you said. I think it's you know he he is more confident now that yeah I can roll the dice on some guys. Yeah, it I mean, may blow up in his face, but you know hey, I think Tom, it's worth it. Tom I think so. it's well worth after five and seven. It's worth it. Yeah, you need, to, the, you need to roll the dice and take the chances on those guys after five and seven. You get, can't afford to be cocky and arrogant. Get nope. the talent acquisition right now while you can, yeah. and when you get those at Texas guys that are talented. What they can do is also when the four Texas guys see talent come in, you know, natural competition fuels itself to actually elevate that practice field. And then when you look at the situation with some of the guys that came, say, to play at Texas, they're guys that have some type of familiarity, your Billingsley or your Hall, where you have them coming from Alabama that were either recruited for or played for Sark. So, you know, it's sort of like the – you know, after a bad relationship, like whoever you meet, a little bit better than what you just came from, and those type of situations can make it a good landing spot for the guys that came to play at Texas. And when you're talking about, we've talked forever about not only not developing the talent, 
but just losing out on talent and just how yeah. tougher it's been for Texas to get that premier talent and seeing these guys come in this way really does help both ways. So you can have that chemistry hopefully already forming, but then the guys that are coming in that are extremely talented, when they can elevate the competition only because now the guys that are for Texas are being pressed. Yep. I'll give you an example, Rod, of what you're talking about from a portal aspect, right? A guy that came to play at Texas and a guy that came to play for Texas. And not to say that they didn't, both guys didn't use Texas as a springboard to get to the NFL because as a transfer, especially a grad transfer, that's ideally what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Tariq Black is a guy that came to play at Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not necessarily picking on Tariq Black, but hey, it is what it is. There's uh, nothing wrong with that, too, by no. the way. Calvin Anderson's a guy that came to play for Texas. Yeah, that's a good point. He's still recruiting for Texas. Yeah. <laughs> he does. Like Kevin Anderson, like he's still, yeah, he's still on Twitter and social media. And that's sort of he's like. still reaching out to recruit. He was recruit. a part of the program for one semester. Yeah, you, you, yeah, that's a great point. You know? And, yeah, no, and that's I, why I a guy that. like that's Quinn a Ewers, the way that he showed, because yeah. he's, he's sort of one of those play for Texas because he grew up as a Texas guy, even though he is a transfer and came in via the portal. When you combine a guy that's also that big-time talent mm-hmm. that also has that for Texas, it sort of makes sense that he's just the guy getting all the attention and somebody like Cards and Afterthought with that's it. Point. So yep. just keep that in mind on the on the portal side of things. No, uh, you While you're on the portal, no, too, like just this discussion that we're having, it's going to continue more so each and every year because like you didn't necessarily have this potential to go out and mind these guys that you can fill out your roster with the at Texas guys in addition to hopefully film forming something that you've previously had, which is why Texas has, you know, the the blue blood reputation that already comes with being a part of what Texas is. Yeah. You know, I think what we got to do, Matt, for our bus rate study, I think what we have to do is just make instead of going back and retroactively trying to fix everything, I think we just got to start a line of demarcation starting with 2018 because that was the year that the portal started, that mm-hmm. was the year that the four-game redshirt rule started. So basically you just got to say, look, from and, and the data we've got, 1998 to 2017 is kind of its own deal. Yeah. And then once you get to 2018, now we're dealing with a whole different we'll ball. We'll call it BP and AP, before portal and after portal. Pro- no, probably, call it your acquisition era. There you go. Yeah. We always call it the acquisition, call it the acquisition the Talent era. acquisition cycle. Yeah. Because at 24-7 Sports, we've started doing yeah. recruiting class rankings with transfers factored mm-hmm. in. Yeah, which it changes smart. everything. Yeah. Which is smart, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because now we're not even dealing with grad transfers anymore. You're dealing with a guy like Quinn Ewers that has – what, three, four years of eligibility left. Yeah. So. Crazy, man. Yeah, you see wow. stuff like I saw Miami uh, release their roster, and it has, like, distinctions. Fourth-year redshirt sophomore. And, like, they have to clarify. Because, like, you have yeah. some sophomores that are two well, or three yeah. years older right, than other guys. Right, because of the COVID year yep. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, hurt. they threw everything off. And I'll say this, too, in closing about Tariq Milton. Uh, if Tariq Milton, if his biggest contribution to the program ends up being that he can be a guy that can be a positive influence on the Jai Hall and help him get going in the right direction, then – yeah, when because they're from the same <laughs> they're from the same part of the state of Florida. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Tariq, yeah, Tariq, uh, like Jai Hall from Tampa. Tariq Mills from Bradenton. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, that's good. That's that's a nice little nugget, Jeff. Great job. I so like hope, hope yeah. Look, man, Jai Hall is so freaking talented. Just mm-hmm. whatever you can, whatever whatever influence you can use to get him headed on that trajectory mm-hmm. that I think we all feel like he can take. Do it, man. I'm all for it. Even if, and I'll say this too. Uh, I, I do want to hit this because I, I got it, Rod. I got to pick your brain about this defensive thing I've got in my head that I need to get out. Let's do it. Um, but before I do that, when we talk about you know building the you know coming off the the five and seven season, Rod, as you said, maybe the greatest off season for a five and seven team in the history of college football. Find me a better one. The the potential for Sark to fast track this thing is much greater than it was for any of his predecessors. Mm-hmm. Because not only does he have the portal, mm-hmm. not only does he have the one-time transfer rule to work with, but starting with the 2023 talent acquisition cycle, now you don't have to worry about initial counters anymore. You don't have to worry about, okay, how many can we roll back and how many can we add? And we got early enrollees, blah, blah, blah. All you got to do for the next two years, the next two cycles, you just got to manage the 85. Pretty much. So you can get you a mix of, hey, man, let's take an offensive tackle that we think two, three years down the road could be really good for us. Or maybe you could take – you can mix it up and take – you could take some developmental guys. You could take maybe some more transfers to mm-hmm. help to help in the interim. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to worry about managing those, those 25 initial counters per year. And also at the same time, 
and I think this is this is the dirty thing about doing away with the initial counter rule that none of the coaches will say it out loud, but I'll say it for them. It's going to allow you to churn through the bottom of your roster much easier now. Yep, yep. And they all they've been doing that anyway, but they've been doing it in a kind of shady, mm-hmm. we you know what I mean pressuring young yeah. guys and that kind of stuff, especially now with the transfer portal. But yeah, I mean honestly, now you're right. It's going to be even easier for if them. I can get you out and get a transfer in here that can upgrade help me right away and upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's going to be thinking. Or about Or I can take a developmental guy that I feel like I can develop. Where maybe I didn't recruit you, yeah. and I can take this developmental guy and develop him. Yeah. No, I agree. I think, you know, we used to, I don't know what the timeline used to be for a rebuild, but I think for in everybody's mind now, you know, you, you expedite mm-hmm. that process considering the transfer portal and the biggest advantage for Texas, you know, it's got to be name, image, and likeness. I mean, it's just the reality of it that Texas has enough sugar daddies out there. Uh, shout out to BMD and the big money donors, and they care enough about the program uh, that they're going to make sure that Texas is one of the top schools, if not the capital of name, image, and likeness in college sports. But I will I'll admit, hey, the Aggies are doing a damn good job of that themselves. So maybe just the state of Texas, but either way, I think that is big. We cannot ignore that for, for Sark. And, I mean, look at the offensive line hall this year. I mean, it's the best offensive line class Texas arguably has ever had in modern recruiting. It's the best one in the country. It is not a coincidence that the Pancake Factory also around the same damn time decided mm-hmm. to promote the fact they were giving $50,000 a year to scholarship offensive linemen. Yes, Kyle Flood is a great recruiter, but it that helped tremendously. So I'm just, I think name, image, and likeness is also a big part of why Sark can actually, I'm with you, I think he can fast-track the, the rebuild a lot more, a lot quicker than some of the former coaches who took over here at Texas. Whereas when you look at it, you look at it at the start of Sark's tenure, saying, "Okay, maybe if you were thinking," and I'm not saying I'm thinking this way. I'm just using this as a hypothetical time yeah. frame. Maybe if you're thinking, "Okay, given where the roster is, maybe you're thinking like year five to get it together." Now you're thinking, "Dude, with the advantages you got, if you're not showing significant progress by year three, what are we doing?" I agree. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And we've lived this, especially considering Lincoln Riley's left the Big Twelve. Hey now. Yeah, and we've seen this happen in like multifold ways. Not only with the last couple of Texas coaches having so short amount of time, the way it sort of worked out, but just if we remember back to like just a year older than Jeff and I was, said Benson and your teammate Rod, and like at that time you still weren't having freshmen come in and play. But then by the end of the two thousands, by like oh nine, you had impact freshmen that were starting at quarterback that you realize with this spread mm-hmm. culture and it infiltrating that's when we started to talk about the timetable narrowing and that you can have immediate changes you can get a guy that shows up and one recruit can come and be a guy that can transform your program and then when we started seeing guys like that multiple underclassmen winning heismans and then it was like okay you can do it fast and that was pre-portal that's then you have the portal at and this is just another element where not only do you get the one-year transfer issues, but then the ability to go and you didn't even realize teams searching you out to find the best landing spot for them. And it really does hurt the have-nots because those schools, when you are become a top you know, player at a smaller mid-level school, well, now you got to fear that your guy that would have been like your, the pride of your program is now probably transferring to a blue blood. And going so like you add that layer to it, and it even makes that window go from being like a three four year window to a two three year window. That's a good point. I also think where NIL can help you too, and we're seeing this in college basketball now. With college basketball, you're seeing it with a guy like Oscar Shibway, Kentucky, right? Who wouldn't have been a first round pick, probably would have been a second round pick, but he can come back to Kentucky. Granted, Kentucky basketball in terms of NIL is different than what a lot of schools are going to do, but you can give Oscar Shibway money comparable enough to what he would make as a second-round pick yep. where there are no guaranteed contracts, That's or true. maybe you can stay. Maybe that helps you. Look, if, if Quinn Ewers hits his ceiling, he's gone the minute he yeah, can declare for the draft. Yeah. But if it helps you keep a, a guy that, man, maybe he didn't get a, a top two-round grade, maybe he's more of a third, fourth-round pick, if he can get you know a couple hundred grand in NIL money and say, hey, I'll just stay at Texas and develop myself and get this money that I know is coming – in an NIL deal, and I'll take a crack at the NFL next year. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're. Can right actually about help that. kids yeah. a lot. No, I'm with you. I think you're going to start seeing that too. The guys who know that they're top draft picks, they're mm-hmm. going to leave regardless. You're not going to yeah. keep them here. But the guys who are right there on the fence and they're thinking, "Man, should I leave early or should I stay here?" Now, nah, if you can got a chance at making, I don't know, a quarter of a million dollars just mm-hmm. because you're staying in college, I think a lot of guys on the side 
No, I think I'll stay one more year. It's hundred grand. It, whatever, I mean, yeah. whatever the mo- money It's a is, year yeah. of earning power, year, which yeah. is the huge a, big yeah. deal that even a financial advisor will tell you, well, there isn't that much of a difference yeah. between the, the two. The guys who get that, because well, the NFL grade is first round, second round, go, go back, back to, to school. school. I think the guys who get that go back to school, now going to be more likely to go back to school. Yeah, because it isn't that far off. <laughs> yeah, Zero like, and I'm, hundreds of thousands is a big difference. You know, because they just want a lot of these guys just want to live comfortably and, yes. and floss a little you bit. Now, some of them do have they got to send money home and they're in dire financial you don't, situations. Yeah, you, guys that, that guys that have to make it helps guys that have to make the Jacobin Brown decision where it doesn't matter if it's overseas, daily work. I got to go start earning I gotta, a paycheck. I, yeah, I got a family. I got to start earning okay, a paycheck. Well, I got so bills here, to pay. You know, here's a, here's an nil deal worth seventy five thousand dollars. Yeah, can I pay some of your bills? Yeah, you know what? That I, I can that can uh, that can keep me for one more year. Here. And then I'm a year closer year. to getting my degree. Yeah, why not? It's a great point too. Yeah, I think I think the pitch now is easier for guys to stay in school who aren't guaranteed to be yeah. a top draft pick. Those if you're guaranteed, guys. like you said, if you're guaranteed to be a top draft pick, you're going either way. Pretty much, uh, if you yeah. look at the Texas roster, everybody except Bijan Robinson and Xavier Worthy. You're you're all in that conversation. I'm trying to think. Yeah, right now, because Quinn Ewers isn't there yet. No. He's got. I mean, he's got. He's got all the hype around him, but he hasn't done it yet. Those are the two guys. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they should X. have more. I mean, I wish. Yeah, I wish I could name more, but I can't. Yeah. All right, I got to get this <laughs> defensive thought out of my head before it drives me nuts. So I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine who we talk we talk ball a lot, and basically talking about you know Pete Kwiatkowski and Rod. I've heard you talk about this, and I, this kind of. I mentioned that you had said this, and this kind of got the conversation going, and I thought about it in relation to Pete, comparing Pete Kwiatkowski and Todd Orlando. Ugh. I'm trying to figure out uh, because I think I think they're two opposite guys, and I'm kind of with you what you said about you look at the Big 12 and maybe PK could fare better this year. Okay, so let's look at it from this standpoint. We know that Todd Orlando struggled mightily mm-hmm. defending offenses that were ancestors, if you will, of the air raid. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Riley. Cliff Kingsbury yeah. struggled mightily defending but those. PK air raid does not. Right. Yeah. And PK should have been three and zero last year versus air raid offenses. He was two and one, and in one loss was versus Oklahoma. But the game plan was so damn good versus air raid. You got the starting quarterback benched. And just and, just, <laughs> and yeah. if you didn't actually, if you argue, if you hadn't had such an effective game plan versus Spencer Rattler and that initial air raid, you probably win that damn game. How much? How many things change? Texas was Texas wins that game the way yeah. they probably should have. Oh, yeah, they, that's what so it's so, a butterfly but, effect moment. But yeah, for a lot but no, I've talked about that with PK. PK understands the air raid. Yeah. Graham Harrell always talks about who's back in the Big Twelve. Always talks about how the air raid is a religion. Like it's mm-hmm. not so much conceptually, schematically, you know, just X's and O's. Like it's more of a philosophy, more of an ideology. And he talks about that. That's why when you adopt the air raid, it affects, it infects and affects every part of your football team. Yes. Because it is an adoption of a religion and ideology. I just think that PK understands the dogma. He, un- he, he Think of him as a theologian. He understands that religion really, really well. Yes. So that's why I think he has a good you know, game plan initially and preparation initially for air raid offenses. The bit, the butt there is the, the Kim Kardashian, Nick, uh, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams, Oscar, Cardi B-size butt is, as you've talked about all the time, now the Big 12 is hybrid spread offenses. Yes, they have conceptually some things they've adopted from the air raid, but they're, they're hybrid spread yeah, schemes. You got Iowa State with we'll three tight ends at your K-State. will throw multi-backs at you. I mean, you got stuff all over the place. Mike Gundy the wants to run 50 plays a game. Right, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, just a, it's, it's different, right? And now, actually, this year, PK is going to have to play more air raids. Right. You got, you got a, kind of a retro air raid thing happening with Graham Harrell coming back in. You Zach got Zach Kittley. There's an air raid guy, Lebby is essentially air raid roots himself going back to his Art Browse days when he's on that Art Browse staff. That is more of like the what Lebby's I don't I forget how the Veer and Shoot tree goes, but yeah. Lebby He's like a bastard chip step Lebby's not the he's not Philip Montgomery or like Matt Maddox who are the couple of Mm-mm. guys that if like you want the veer and shoot. You you go to one of those guys. He's, they're pure. Kendall, they're, obviously, Kendall Bryles. Yeah, they're like a pure version of. He's it. more a Dino Babers is more of a guy that Dino Kendall, Babers adopted it. You know, yeah. but Jeff Lebby's more closely tied to it than Dino Babers. Is, yeah, so. but it just I'm with you on that. I, I, it's not direct. I'm yeah. with you on that, but it's it's more of an offshoot. But um, but I I think you have that, and also uh, don't forget about Lincoln Riley's little brother. Yeah, Garrett yeah. Riley who's up there. <laughs> so you got Sonny four, Sonny Dykes. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. So you I I know it sounds crazy. PK is going to be better this year because of his 
understanding of the air raid. Like I said, I don't even know if he can really teach somebody. He just gets it. Because yeah. I said, I think Graham Harrell's right. I think it is more of a religion and an ideology more than conceptually, schematically X's and O's. And uh, you were brought up Todd Orlando, Jeff, and I just happened to have these notes always sitting in the corner. Uh, his percentile poor performances in 2018 against uh, air raid esque offenses. Oh yeah, it was absurd. They whipped because yeah, these are the non air raid teams. It was like a 70 percentile against Georgia, 90 percentile against Kansas, 91 against Iowa State, 92 mm. against K State. Like you're talking elite, but against schools like OU Tech. Uh, Oklahoma State, uh, OU again in West Virginia, yep. it was a 6 percentile performance, 10 percentile performance, 11 percentile performance, 13 percentile performance, and 18 percentile performance. It was so distinct that just god-awful against anybody with the air raid roots and could stop anybody else His best, going. His best performances versus the air raids were in that 2017 season when he adopted what Iowa State had essentially evolved to dealing with the air raids in their inverted Tampa 2 scheme, and he was running the lightning package. That's when he had his best performance. But once they figured out, you know, philosophically what Tartalando was constantly trying to do, Mm -hmm. they just ate him alive. And because those air raid offenses – they're all, you know, they're all related, all right? They're all cousins. They, they, they have different terminology and a different style. But conceptually, at the roots, they're all air raid. So they know, oh, this, this concept was eating him alive. We're going to add that concept to our game plan. And they just kept building on that. Dana Hogerson, who doesn't like running the football, got worse ran worse. it down Todd Orlando's throat. Yeah, it got worse and worse. It got worse and worse every year. It really did. It really did. It, where, and, and where I kind of compare the two and where they're very different is, to boil it down, I think Pete Kwiatkowski is a football theorist. I think the football theory part of it, I think he's very good at it. Uh, and, and you think about the the dynamic difference, you know, kind of sophisticated offenses out in Pac-12 country, out on the West Coast. I think he can. I think he can handle those offenses where it's more about, like you said, Rod, more about an idea than a system of plays. Whereas I think Todd Orlando was the complete opposite. When Todd Orlando went into a game and looked at an offense and said. Can I make them one-dimensional? What's one thing I can take away? Okay, USC, Ronald Jones is not going to beat me. If Sam Darnold wants to throw it 50 times, he's going to put it in enough situations where if our guys are right there, maybe we can create some turnovers and beat this game. But Ronald Jones is not going to beat us. Yeah. And Against Oklahoma State that same year. You know what, Mike Yersich, Mike Gundy, you guys are averaging 50 points a game. You're not going to beat us with the deep ball. You can do anything else you want. You're not going to throw it over our heads, period, point blank, end of story. Whereas Todd Orlando, when it got conceptual – like you said, Rod, you've got all these football theorists on offense in the Big 12. Oh, well, we'll just change this, this, and this here, alter this concept, and boom, we got it figured out, and he never adjusted. Whereas I think Pete Kwiatkowski is such a football theorist, and this is kind of where I was going with this, is he such a football theorist that when you face an offense, like a like take Baylor, for instance, where it's Jeff Grimes in a wide zone, where it's like, okay, you got to take away a wide zone, it almost like short-circuits him. Like it's almost like, well, no, I'm used to like thinking – thinking like big picture, these big, huge concepts and going like that, that like when it gets almost rudimentary, it's like you can't handle it. That's a good point. I, I Just because just I came up with the term football theorist, and, and my definition of it was basically a student of the game constantly, right? And you're constantly learning and you're trying to evolve. So the one way I would disagree with you is that last year I didn't see that. I did not see him evolve real time to understand that the Big 12 is a running league cross-dressing as a passing league. Okay. Based on my study, he pretty much still believed the, the Big 12 was they the Big 12 was out to get him via the passing game. Mm-hmm. It was out to get you. Who the passing game? Ooh, Patrick Mahomes is ghost is is haunting you. You know what I mean? Like it was it was weird that he just he never really decided to adjust and go all in. So that would be my one disagreement. I think I I believe Gary Patterson So not is a, a true not a true football fan. Not theorist. not in the sense where he's a student of the game and okay. was studying the game yeah. to find solutions. What do I say about coaches? What are coaches? What are coaches? They're just Problem solvers, man. Solve mm-hmm. the damn problem. What's the problem? Solve it. The fact you took Anthony Cook off the field shows me not a football theorist. There were too many things that I saw that I can't like now. Nah, you were stubborn in the way you approached it, so I'm not gonna give you that label. But you can, but I won't. Suffer from the preconceived. I, yeah, I was talking, I you, basically, yeah. He you, didn't have an you, adjust yeah. this season. Now there there's a chance he could change and be a guy that learns, but he didn't have the ability maybe to Not last year. Le- well, I know that's what I I'm was saying. talking about theorists but like, in terms in the, of when more. you have an off season. Like in yeah. season, he may have just been overwhelmed, who knows, or Could not be. been able to deal Could with be. it. 
But yeah, you're right. He didn't adjust. He didn't adjust. In terms of he thinks more abstract. I agree with that. That doesn't make you a football theorist okay. by my definition. Okay, then I'm just using the def- I'm just using the yeah, terminology yeah, right. He yeah. is more abstract yeah. than rudimentary. Whereas yes. Todd Orlando, the rudimentary that. stuff, they're all, you so Texas fans, I'm telling you, you basically got the polar opposite defensive coordinator from Todd Orlando. The, the rudimentary stuff with Todd Orlando, he could handle. How do I make you one dimensional? I do that. Okay, I got it. If when it's abstract, it's it's in the clouds, it's way up here, can't handle it. I agree Whereas with that. Whereas Pete it's so abstract that when it gets rudimentary, it's almost like you don't you don't know what like the Ricky Bobby like what do I, I don't know what do I do with my hands I don't know like it's, <laughs> just, it's so rudimentary when, at, when it has to be it's applicable. so yeah so rudimentary yeah. that you're almost like man is this a rib are you messing with me like yeah. surely it can't be this simple like no no it it really is yeah it really is you're talking about when it's like trying to make it like applicable it's like yeah. the ideas and make and I, I agree with you on that so my thing of football theory is this, like I would classify Mike Gundy as a football theorist why because Mike Gundy looked at the Big Twelve. And looked at the evolving changes mm, Big 12 and said to himself, okay, we are at a disadvantage in this damn conference constantly. I can't get the top athletes. I'm never going to get the top athletes. I can get really good athletes. So how do I give myself, all right, how do I give myself a bit of a separation from the rest of the league? And this is a guy that was an offensive-minded guy, but he said mm-hmm. to himself, the way strategically, right, I'm going to get a, a, an advantage is I got to get it defensively. The rest of the, the league is going offense. I got to zag, all right? Everybody else is zigging. I got to zag. Mm-hmm. And this is when he decided to really think outside the box because he said, you know what? If I'm going to devote myself to more to defense, I got to put more scholarships. I got to invest more scholarships. Defense was the first thing he did. That was about five or six years ago. Um, and of course, bringing on Jim knows helps and he's already gone. Uh, but then he decided the biggest, the, I think the biggest adjustment for him, the biggest evolutionary adaptation was he's like, you know what? I'm going positionless football. The Big 12, all these schemes are going hybrid spread schemes. You saw the same thing you did. You said, all these hybrid spread schemes all over the place. I can't just, I can't build my defense to stop the air raid anymore because I got I got to face the air raid. Then I got to face a team that plays three tight ends. I got to face a team that's a multi-back team. Then I got, then I got a, now I got a pro style. I got to deal with, with Steve Sarkeesian. I got all these different types of hybrid spread schemes. I cannot build my defense to be so rigid and stubborn that mm-hmm. it will only be successful versus one type of scheme or philosophy. It must be malleable. And that's yep. when he decided positionless football. Stop, re- stop recruiting specific positions in the back seven and say, you know what? I'm recruiting athletes, what I call spread babies. I'm just going to recruit spread babies. That's it. And the point of being a football theorist is so you can predict the future. Mm-hmm. Your, th- your theory can be applicable, and then you can apply it, and then, boom, it worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, it worked. His theory was positionless football will help me adapt to all these spread offenses. And also... It'll help me save scholarships because when I recruit a guy and we do screw it up, <clears throat> thought he was going to be a linebacker and he's not, you know what? Move him to safety. You know, he, 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 we, we recruited him as an athlete. Move him to safety. Yeah. Or move, it's just like Malcolm Rodriguez, right? In the roles. Came in as he was a quarterback, then came in as a safety, moved down linebacker, ended up being the best linebacker in the Big 12. So now they actually were able to maximize scholarships because now they can move guys around. Like, like what, what's your word, Jeff? What do you always say? Repurpose. Boom. Mm. They can repurpose all those guys. That's a football theorist. He saw it and went, all right, does I apply? Gary Patterson, remember he came into the Big 12, had defense figured out and went, damn it, man, it's a league. My defense doesn't matter as much. My mm. defense is, is, is negated. It's you, moot. You said it when I, we started this podcast. Defense wins championships, but points win the Big 12. Right? It's like, man, I got to figure out how to adapt in this Big 12. And this is a guy that was not really going, you know, willing to go all in on the air raid and decided it's an air raid league. My defense with the air raid? Yeah, I might be able to do what Bob Stoops did when he combined his great defense with the air raid. The air raid doesn't combine with great defense very often, but if you could do it, ooh-wee, 2014 TCU, they did it. That's a football theory. Saw the league. Okay, what's my problem? Solve the problem. My problem is I'm getting outscored. Even though my defense is pretty damn good, still getting outscored these games. I got to be able to win different ways. I can't just win with defense. All right, I got to be malleable. What do I do? Go hire Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham. Bring the, you know what? What's beating you? If you can't beat them, what do you do? Join them. You join them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't beat them. You join them. Yeah. That's what he did. That's a football theorist, man. Apply it. You come up with the concept. Hy- hypothesize. Apply it real time and see if it works. And when it does, boom. You can, the argue, See, that's why Todd Lando was a football theorist. He just stole a great idea. <laughs> man, football theorist, he did, but he's, uh, give him credit for stealing the great yeah. idea. What going, works? You, know you got to identify it, what works yeah. first, and that's one thing that uh, and he figured PK out. hasn't done and di- hasn't given us yeah. evidence, and that was your initial point: is we have no evidence. I have no evidence that, that he's ability in, to adjust in this league, in that yeah. league, yeah, in the Pac-12. But can we all admit Pac-12 offenses, like you said, they were all the same. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, at, the, at, at, at their root, they were pretty much very, all very similar. The Big 12 is such a, 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 such a variety. Pot, yeah. yeah, it's a great point. Melting pot, right? So diverse. The Big 12 offenses are sophisticated, but in, just in terms of terminology, a lot of ties to the West Coast offenses. They're not diverse. Et cetera. No. Yeah. Not very diverse. No. Big 12 offenses are very diverse. So I, I, to me, that's that's my thing about football theory. I, John Heacock. Oh, pure theorist. John Heacock. <laughs> pure theorist. Mm-hmm. All theory, baby. All theory. All in. All in. Because what, what separates That's what normally because, when you find a good coach. Yes. Like, you know, what separates, because necessity is the mother of invention. I got no damn choice but to solve this problem. Yep. I got to. What separates Otherwise, guy, we drive. What separates John Haycock from Todd Orlando, John Haycock did do that like – you know that three down, drop eight look. That was their their their, their nickel and dime package. But it's it's working so good. Just keep it as a base defense. He's been able to evolve that thing. Yeah, that wasn't just a think about that. Yes, back right. in twenty seventeen when we're talking about him running that defense. Great point. Here we are in twenty twenty two, and that's still the framework of the Iowa State defense. But Rod, that thing has changed. It is. They've evolved it. Yeah. And yeah. that's and, why you've got Clemson, Ohio State, and all these other NFL cool coaches down the study. Figuring out well, how the hell, how well, the hell that's are you what's doing? funny. Tampa like, Bay's running three safety looks it's now. A, it's trickled Rams. up. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah, it's, it's already up, maybe man. outdated in the Big Twelve. It's crazy. Oh yeah, to and think about that. And that's the beauty of it, right? Because the Big Twelve, and I think the NFL, and the NFL is going to go to hybrid spread schemes pretty soon. I, I really do. I truly believe. It. I think you're watching the evolutionary adaptations within the Big 12 ecosystem. We all know 10 years ago, Big 12 was all about passing. Uh, it was a prolific passing league, probably the most progressive. And, you know, I, in my opinion, it was probably the most elite progressive passing league in the country, producing NFL caliber quarterbacks, right? Uh, and the NFL fell in love with all the Big 12 offenses to the point where they hired Cliff freaking Kingsbury after he was fired. All right. Mm-hmm. Went after Matt Campbell. Went after Lincoln Riley. Right. Loved the offenses. Didn't really like the defenses. And didn't necessarily really like the talent in the Big 12 other than the quarterbacks. But then the Big 12 shifted. Right. So what happened? Well, Big 12 defenses started playing more too high sale looks. Right. Mm-hmm. Too high safety looks to, to try to combat and defend these really prolific spread offenses. They're throwing the ball all over the place. We need two deep safeties to defend those explosive passing plays. Hell, Iowa State went to three of them. Yeah. Right? We got to stop these explosive pass plays. We're going to make them run the ball. Yeah. We're going to give them no other choice. But, man, that's his hand the damn ball off, right? It's better to die a death of a thousand cuts than to die a shotgun blast to the head. So yeah. that's, that's what the Big 12 defense starts yeah. to do. So what happens to the offenses? It's just an evolutionary adaptation. They decide, you know what, let's run the ball. But let's run it from hybrid spread scheme. Let's spread them out to basically just run the ball. So we go. they don't think we're going to throw it from our formations and from our personnel packages, but we're just going to run the damn ball. Keep them, we'll keep them safeties deep, though. Help us run the ball. So that started happening more and more in the Big 12. The Big 12 became a hybrid spreads league, as you talk about all, all the time, Jeff. And now, I think, honestly, because now the Big 12, it's a running league. Mm-hmm. Like said, yeah. It's a running league, now cross-dressing as a passing league. And I think, honestly, you, you're going to see a, a flip. It's going to go back the other way sooner mm-hmm. or later. I don't know when it's going to go back. We already see the air raid offense is starting to come back in. It'll go back the other way because I think sooner or later the defenses will adjust and start going, you know what? I got to bring that safety down to that box. And you'll start seeing a lot more single high looks in the Big 12. When that starts happening, the majority of the defensive looks are single high looks, which is cover one, cover three, but also allows you to put the extra defender in the box. That's when the offenses will adjust again. Yeah. And then they'll go back to throwing the ball because why? Because you have the numbers in the passing game because you only got one single high safety. And that's where it like, just goes bad. Yeah. We it's saw like that politics. It, we saw it in vote, the NFL. Vote, the country goes go Republican. And then you know what? The next president is probably going to be a Democrat. And the next president will probably be a Republican. It'll go back and forth. Yeah. Neil, Neil Brown, what, what, West, what West Virginia does this year in terms of the Big 12, what they look like, I think, is going to be a really nice test case for where the league is going on offense. If it's going to continue the hybrid spread trend, or if it's going to start trending more air raid, because Neil Brown's not an air raid. Like he played in the air raid for How Mummy and Mike Leach at Kentucky, mm-hmm. but Neil Brown has been a hybrid spread guy. Yeah, always has been. And but hiring Graham Harrell as your offensive coordinator. <laughs> Changes That's things. all Graham Harrell knows is the air raid. And like I said, he's the guy I got the quote from that it's a religion. Yeah. So yeah. guys who speak like that are not just going <laughs> to relinquish that type of, you know, philosophy. Don't tell us about Leach. Yeah, exactly. It's a religion. <laughs> so I wonder if this is Neil Brown looking at Graham Harrell saying, all right, you got I've, it, done, I've taken it so far. I need you 
I need you to come help me take it. Well, and seeing where the league's going, I don't disagree with that. If him just saying, yeah, man, you know what? Actually, I've tried to do it my way. It ain't really working. Well, and that's a talk you're having right now about how the league going to go back. That could be one of the first steps to trend that way. And like, when Kidley coming to Kidley is a. Oh, yeah. You you think extremist. Kidley is as extreme as Western Kentucky and Houston Houston Baptist. Dude. Y'all seen Stearns' brother? And Caden's brother know, was the one Tampa to put Bay up now? the huge numbers. But, yeah, his yeah, numbers that he put up. Western Kentucky. Yeah, Tech is going to go. You'll see Texas Tech throwing the ball 70 80%. times a game. They're going back. Oh, it's going oh, to be like Mike Leach there again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no and doubt. that's where, and then, like, somebody like Levy. Levy was, you know, one that at one point was maybe that pass heavy. But if you look at Ole Miss last year, they're one of the top, like, 30 highest run percentage plays in the nation. So yeah, they love RPO. They're yeah. R- they probably run more RPO. I mean, that's where RPOs sort of well, get now, you I, sorted yeah. as, because when you call the RPO, it's like a design, a run in the mind of the OC, but it has that ability to be a run play that has the explosive ability of a passing for a those, touchdown. Those mm-hmm. three guys, Graham Harrell, Zach Kitley, Sonny Dykes, Rod, there, there's no disguising. who those three, those three guys have not tried to – Hide who they are. Like yep. they, they are full out. They are Mike Lee's disciples. They all do it a little bit different, they're proud, but they're proud of. But it. yeah, they're proud of it. They take yeah. pride in it. It's like, no, nah, we're gonna we're gonna chunk it all over the yard. And they, you know, and I would say they've kind of refined it to the point now where they're really good at. It. So maybe we're already watching it. Like Matt said, maybe this is it. Maybe yeah. we're in the midst of it, so we can't see it. The trend real. We time. haven't got the evidence yet. Till next shift season. is already happening a little bit. And you know, so I think Sark is going. I think when Bijan leaves, Sark may end up becoming more of a pass heavy guy too, because he's stacking. He wants to stack wide receivers in that room. And I'm not saying he's going to become, you know, obviously dominant and lopsided in that way. But I think he he may shift between being a more pass heavy team and a more run heavy team, depending on the talent that he has. He got Bijan now, of course. You run the rock. Real quick, the uh, the adjust. I don't even know if it's been a scheme adjustment, but the personnel adjustment on why that two the three safety defense still works. Look at the most successful defenses, Rod. You just mentioned Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. They've all kind of got just hybrid positionless players on the back end. They do. Whereas they do. Iowa State and Baylor, your X factor for Iowa State, it's been Greg Eisworth. For Baylor, it's been Jalen Petrie. Mm-hmm. You've just got that one guy who he can function as a safety, but he fits the run better than a lot of linebackers in the Big Twelve do. Yep. So you can it can those two defense, I think Baylor and Iowa State do a great job. And we've seen this one, but they play Texas. They can lull you into thinking, oh man, we can run the ball. But then you've got that extra hat from that third safety who, like I said, fits the run better than a lot of linebackers. Mm-hmm. And you can be like, wait, how the how the hell did they fit the run so well when they got they got three safeties on the field? We should be able to run the ball. And if you're Tom Herman and Tim Beck, you just kind of slam your head against the wall trying <laughs> to run the ball. And then Great before point. you know, it's like, oh. We're down by 10, and there's a minute and a half left in the game. Like, what? we just lost the game. Yep, and the key to that is Petrie and the pos- a positionless player that you can move around the chessboard. I said, yeah. <sighs> Maurice Blackwell, I'm telling you, I hey, man. maybe I'm wrong. Keep pounding the table. Maybe brother. I'm wrong. Keep mm-hmm. pounding the table. But I'd like to think I'm not. So, at the end of the day, Rod, as we wrap this up, you would agree that PK is not a. We would say PK is not a football theorist. I just I haven't had a lot of proof. I haven't we don't had have proof yet that he yet. is. Yeah, okay. but I, I mean, I, like I said, when I studied him, I believed he was. But this year, I must admit that it's a lot of evidence to the contrary. What what is what is the? <laughs> and that's what you got to base it on. Yeah, I got to base it on what I'm seeing. What what would be a good sign? And I'm not saying in terms of yards they allow or points they allow. Schematically, personnel wise, for you, what would be a good sign to say? Okay. I think this could work. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, um, it, it depends on, you know, if he, because I, like I said, I want him to find his best 11. And I think that's what Todd Orlando, I'll give him correct. I don't think Todd Orlando was a football theorist by any means, but I do think Todd Orlando knew that that lightning package would allow him to put his best 11 guys on the field. And that's right. what he and that, and that was what he accomplished. I think that 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 sent him on the right down the right track of that 2017 defense. Thinking I've got to find a way I to get Brecken Hager and Gary these, Johnson on the field. Boom, yeah. These guys have to be on the field all the time. That should be priority over preconceived positions. Exactly. Or so for, if you want to go down the right track of football theory, start there. Mm-hmm. Who are your best eleven? It's because it's a simple question. Who cares you about can't the answer formation? That question as a defensive coordinator. You are already lost. Like we're talking about. You got no Ab- chance. Abstract and then rudimentary. Yeah, exactly. So find out who the best 11 are, and then I need you to, you know, be a football theorist and say, okay, well, if, is it is it six DBs or is it five DBs? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it one linebacker or two linebackers? Is it four D linemen or five D linemen? And then you need to come up with a way to keep those guys on the field as much as possible. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. That, w- that would prove to me these are football theorists. Like I think of your of your top. Of your top 11, I think three of them are in that anterior D-line group. 
I think with Alfred Collins, Tavondre Sweat, and Byron Murphy, I think those are three of your top eleven. So you got. So how do you how do you make it work? Do you just run an old school just old school odd front up front? It's a great question. Hey, do you trust those, the backers? Do you trust your exactly? You trust your defensive ends enough on the to be able to hold up? We talk about everything with the staff because they got that, did well you got the, that. If you got that type of front, I agree that everybody's going it's going to spill everything outside. Your linebackers you and your want, safeties you want it be, spilled outside. Yeah, do you have strength there? Like that's where <laughs> that we were the worst ever last year. Yeah, do you want it spilled I out? You there? couldn't spill it out there because you were so bad. Particularly at safety, your safeties were so bad. But you got new safeties out. now, so hopefully they can be better. So yeah. that's where best yeah. eleven. So baby. exactly. So who cares? Make, and we're thinking, oh, that'll be fit bad. Together. But no, if you if you really know your personnel, go no, no, no. We got new safeties now. They run the alley better. That's gonna make for better. We're gonna we're gonna be able to penetrate the interior. We're gonna force them to the edge. Safeties are gonna be able to run uh run the alley better so they're gonna make more plays we're gonna play more single high looks all right so we're gonna have a guy mm-hmm. in the box already defensive ends are gonna be better just from development you know maybe he sees the things that we're not privy to and then he can come up with a scheme and come up with a way for them to be like the basically the best version of themselves whatever it is but they made so many changes i wouldn't doubt that you know something last year that didn't work now works this year because well, it is a lot new personnel I think a good indicator and sign, if there's a player that we didn't expect to be a starter that, like, is a starter, if that something like that happens where it's almost like, wait, what, what's going on? That actually may be a good sign because be. he may be just going with the guys that fit yeah. best together. I remember the Chris 11. Brown. Remember Tarlando yep. and Chris Brown? Mm-hmm. And Esprit's like, Chris Brown must play. And we're like, what you say? Yep. He's like, no, Chris Brown thing. has to play. Uh, what? what? Uh, why are you saying he has to play? Chris Brown has to be on the field. We got to figure out a way to get him on the field. I was like, that's crazy. But it turns out yep. he was one of the best players on your defense yeah. and in your secondary. So I would love that story. When that when thing got, happens. When coaches, he's so sure. Like, no, no, this guy has to play. Because yeah. basically in the spring offseason, he's been one of our best players. I know it's going to translate. It shows that, that he's that. seeing something that we aren't seeing. what they've seen. done with Jade Yeah. Uh, yeah. You could argue that they've done that with Jade Barron. You could argue that's, that's some of that with Jade Barron. Okay, I, 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 I don't know if they. Record. I don't know if he said that Jade Barron must play. Well, we that. haven't talked to PK, so we don't know. <laughs> I'm just. I'm being serious. What a hell of a way to end it. You're right. Yeah. All these questions about PK, and we can't ask them. <laughs> just, being, just being serious. That is so true. I was. Gonna, oh, I thought of something else that I was going to ask in the, the show, but that's as good a place as any to end it. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B and Mike Harge each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic. Interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes. Click that follow button. Get every episode of the Longhorn Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. You've been listening to Longhorn